Welcome to the Analytics of Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Jordan McNamara. This is a special uh, off the normal once a week scheduled podcast. Uh, This is specifically uh, in reaction to the NFL Combine, the 2020 NFL Combine. We have all of the skill position players have run and finished all of their testing. So you've got quarterbacks, running backs, and wide receivers all in the uh, in the books and headed off to pro days and, and all of uh, those sorts of things. So I figured this is a perfect time to uh, drop a, a non-scheduled podcast, but drop it and uh, give you some initial reactions to this. And then t- we'll have some normally regularly scheduled podcasts. Um, before I jump in, I just want to plug the Analytics Dynasty Patreon uh, site so patreon.com slash analytics of dynasty i've gone through a full breakdown uh, on quarterbacks running backs wide receivers and tight ends over there already uh, this is going to be an abridged or abbreviated version of that there's over two hours of audio content just on the combine alone in terms of previews reviews um, strategy uh, and takeaways from the combine so you can find that all at patreon.com slash analytics of dynasty uh, and i've got all my dynasty tiers updated i've got my um, which is just a different take on ranks um, i got plenty of strategy team building um, a whole series on the nfl free agency and i've got the analytics of dynasty group me so Go over there for as little as $4 a month. You can get in on it. Um, and then there's a couple higher tiers with that have the my Dynasty tiers or the, the rankings uh, and uh, the group meet chat as well. So you can find all that over there at patreon.com slash analytics of Dynasty. Full breakdown, all the combine stuff. But I wanted to drop this on the main podcast just so um, you can get some advanced content before you know, the week gets churning and their normally scheduled uh, listening comes out. So um, part of the benefit of having just me uh, is that I can drop it on a little bit shorter notice and uh, and off schedule when it warrants, and this seems like the perfect time. So I've got 10 players that uh, I'm really looking at. I think their storylines coming out of this combine. Uh, I'm specifically focused, too, on Superflex, so there's a couple quarterbacks. If you're in a start one league, probably not as applicable uh, in terms of high draft picks, but I think we're going to see these guys have high draft picks come Superflex time. So first we'll start with Justin Herbert. Uh, I thought from the start of this combine, or from the start of this offseason, prior to the combine, honestly dating back to the to the fall and as the, the board started to become more and more apparent in terms of quarterback need uh, and draft position and all of those things I thought the case for Justin Herbert going in the top 10 um, seemed pretty likely to me that I didn't know exactly where he's going to go but it seemed based on his profile and the needs on the board uh, he strikes me as the third best quarterback in this class uh, behind Burrow and Tua and there's plenty of demand up at the top of the board for quarterback so I I thought that he would be a top 10 pick uh, and he is uh, currently projected as a top 10 pick by Grinding the Mocks, which is the, the aggregator website that I use for, for all, of the, uh, for all the, the mock draft data. Uh, comes out, runs 4.68. It's good for 83, uh, 83rd percentile since 2000 among quarterbacks. Uh, 35.5 in the vert, 35.5. 
uh, 89th percentile, broad jump of 123, that's a 95 percentile. Uh, runs 706 in the three cone, or does it in 706. Uh, good performance there all across the board. There is uh, talk and discussion that he could potentially go ahead of Tua. I wouldn't do that, but I think the medicals are a big deal. We're not going to know the full medical situation. We'll hear stuff leak out on Tua, uh, but it's going to be a comfort level for each team once their doctors get hit their hands on them and those sorts of things. So I don't think we're going to have a full picture on Tua's health because uh, there's incentive not to put that out too. So I think if you're talking, you probably don't know the full story would be the storyline that I'd read off of Tua. So I think there's a chance that Herbert goes ahead of Tua. Um, I, I think it's pro- I wouldn't bet it straight up, but I think it's a, I think it's a possible chance depending on how Tua grades out. Uh, second player, Jordan Love. I think there's also a chance that he goes ahead of Tua. Uh, I think it's a lesser chance than Herbert, and I certainly wouldn't do that. Uh, but a lot of positive buzz coming out of the combine. Comes in with the big hands, over 10 inches, uh, 4.74 in the in the 40, th- uh, 35 and a half, just like Herbert in the vert, 118 in the broad jump. Uh, that broad jump's good for 86th percentile, the 40, 74th percentile. So Good testing across the board. I've seen some of the narrative stuff on him in recent uh, days and weeks, which is that yeah, all of his, basically all of his supporting cast left and left him there uh, and, and with a significantly weaker supporting cast. Saw similar things actually at a Josh Allen at Wyoming. Uh, so I think that's a, you know, we'll, we'll sort of see. I think the two of them might have a similar track in terms of, uh, their narratives coming into this. We'll see what the pedigree is. I think that's going to be a big deal in terms of how high he goes uh, in the draft, and and we'll see. But he strikes me right now as being the most likely fourth quarterback off the board um, with with Herbert, Tua, and Burrow ahead of them, ahead of Love right now. Um, I think he's probably the most likely fourth at, at this particular point. Um Probably not a top 10 pick, but we shall see. Uh, Turning to the running back position, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Pretty disappointing, honestly. Um, You know, it runs 4.60, but does jump well. So 39.5 vert, 123 broad jump. So jumps pretty well. Uh, I did know, I looked back and the combine since 2000, 200 running backs have run 4.60 or worse. Uh, 23 have gone on day one. So you're looking a little bit over 10%, about 11%, uh, 11.5% going on day two or better. Uh, so 23 out of the 200 have gone in the first two days of the draft. I would note the average. Uh, weight of those running backs, 220 pounds. So with Clyde Edwards-Alaire uh, running 4.60 at at the weight uh, that he came in at uh, is is disappointing in terms of uh, you know it's a it's not a great number. Uh, so I think it's a big question in terms of how he's going to end up how he's going to end up 
uh, going in drafts. Uh, I think there's plenty of running backs that perform well. Um, he came in, he did come in at 207, and that speed score, just to close the loop on that, 92 and a half, uh, 92.46 to be exact. Um, so well below average there. Uh, there's plenty of running backs, I think, that performed better than him that are currently going after him um, and different types of running backs too. So we'll sort of see. I think if there was a, a top five in terms of running backs, I think, um, you know, if it was some sort of maybe there's a tier break or two in that, but I think he was commonly in the top five. I think that's broken up a little bit. I think he's closer. There are he dropped, and there are people that rose up as well, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, I'm not sure the ordering of what's going to happen, but – uh, on on those guys sort of after the top four, but I think it's notable that you know, he's uh, he's going to be one of the uh, not great outlier on day two if he goes in and the on day two just in terms of speed and speed score, uh, but does I think you know when you watch him play against Alabama uh, in particular just the lower the lower body power was pretty impressive and I think you see that jump out a little bit and vert and broad jump so he's going to be a player I'm going to watch to see how he does at the pro day in terms of his speed there's a possibility he came in a little jacked up in terms of weight that was that was commonly bountied about um, I'm not sure I've talked about this in some other places and particularly on the Patreon side I'm not sure that that really um, is a thing if you're doing it the right way in terms of hurting your your actual profile uh, or your actual performance in the drills. So he's a player that I think we got we have to have some caution about at this point. Anthony McFarlane, running back out of Maryland, a little bit of a star-crossed uh, career at Maryland, lots of injuries. So that's a big part of his profile in terms of how all those answers, all those questions get answered, but runs 444, 107 speed score. Uh, is currently going 185 overall and grinding the mocks. I think there's a reasonable chance that he goes higher than that, just uh, just in terms of some of the guys that went ahead of him, uh, that are going ahead of him at grinding the mocks right now, uh, aren't uh, big time <laughs> producers at the at the at the combine uh, and should see themselves fall. So I think. McFarland's going to naturally, if healthy and if if cleared, is going to naturally rise. Uh, but you see some players ahead of him that I don't expect to be there, particularly Javon Leake, Scotty Phillips, Salvin Ahmed, for uh, just a, a couple examples, J.J. Taylor as well. So I think you could clearly see him in the top 12 of the running back position. I think there's a, there's a shot that he's uh, can sneak in later day two. But I think probably early day three is where you where you would look to see him right now. Um, but I think he should rise over that 185.5 right now, which is his his draft position. AJ Dillon is the fifth player that really stood out, and uh, <laughs> I just it, it, four five three at 247, um, and then jumps 41 inches in the vert, 131 in the broad jump. You know, that's like LeBron James-level athleticism. And you just – I always say there's not many people walking the face of the earth at any given time. There's not enough quarterbacks uh, that are capable and eligible to play in the NFL uh, to start. There's just not – there's not 32 of them that are NFL-caliber you know, franchise quarterbacks at any given time. Um, and it's a, it's a really rare 
you know, that's one of the rarer things in terms of all of sports uh, of guys to actually have. Dylan is even like a rarer athlete just in terms of the the size that he runs four three four five three, uh, one seventeen speed score. That's good for ninety six percentile plus the jumps, the forty one inch for the one thirty one broad jump. It's almost eleven feet. Just just wild numbers. Uh, I looked for guys sub four five five at two forty or higher. Uh, going back to 2000, there's three of them. Leonard Fournette, Derrick Henry, Alan Bradford. So Alan Bradford is a little bit later pick, but Derrick Henry and Fournette, very good. I think you there's a similar comp there in terms of the lack of receiving pedigree, I think, out of all of them. We'll see how that works out with Dylan. Not a big receiving, uh, not a big throwing or you know targeting running backs out of the backfield at Boston College. Uh, but we've seen with Fournette that – the, the volume, if you get volume, it can produce a really big season in terms of the passing uh, to support a really high season, even if you're not really a, a big-time threat coming into the NFL as a receiver. Um, 100 targets this year for Fournette. Doubt we see anything that high for Dylan, but you know something along the 40 to 50 re- re- reception mark would really – uh, give him a high ceiling with his with his size and touchdown scoring ability. Um, you know, you just blend. You think of what Derrick Henry could do if he saw you know, half or three quarters of what Fournette saw in terms of targets this year. It would be a wild combination. Um, but yeah, so Dylan, big time tester. I think he locks himself into day two. Uh, we'll just see how many teams are looking for that type of style in terms of their their running back. I mean, honestly, if, if Tennessee were to let Derrick Henry walk, that would seem to be a good a good sort of replacement for him. So, um, but we'll be we'll be sort of watching that. I think he's closer to Clyde Edwards-Alaire than he was before the draft. I think he both Rose and Edwards-Alaire fell. I think there's a pretty good shot that that he ends up going on day two. So um, a a big-time producer in college and a big-time tester. So there was some talk coming in. You know, he was talking, I'm going to run 4-4-X. And when you see those things, sometimes I get sort of jaded by people coming out. And, you know, like Jet Anderson, for example, ran 4-6-1. And, you know, you just see these, these you know, bold proclamations and naming your, nicknaming yourself Jet and then bombing. So I, I get a little skeptical when I see players come out and say, hey, I'm going to do these spectacular things at the Combine. But when they actually happen, it's, it's pretty awesome to see. So happy for A.J. Dillon. Jonathan Taylor is player number 6, 439 at 226. It's the 7th player since 2000. Running four four zero or better at two twenty. Houses this name for how's some of these comps? Saquon Barkley, Nile Davis, Mario Fannin, and Brandon Sane, two uh, lower pedigree guys that were just uh, just uh, athletic freaks, but didn't really get much of run. Uh, ben Tate was a the uh, predecessor to Adrian. Uh, Arian Foster before uh, he got hurt and injuries derailed his career. Um, Andre Brown, uh, day three guy from a while back, and Kevin Jones, uh, late first round pick uh, earlier in the century. So uh, the, you know, the I think there's certainly a case to be made for Taylor in the first round. I know there's questions about his receiving profile. Uh, there's been 
discussion and and some talk from um, guys publicly from PFF saying that he had the most uh, he was basically the most efficient per per route run running back in terms of uh, yards per route run uh, in in this class. So um, I think it's a it's a pr- that's a pretty good uh, it's a pretty good. Uh, profile in terms of smaller sample size receiver, uh, but productive when he gets that when he gets that opportunity. So again, you don't necessarily need to be a, a Darren Sproles type when you're this big, but can you fill in and be competent in the passing game? Uh, and you don't need to do Fournette level targets either, but can you get you know 50, 60 targets in a season, catch 35, 40, 45 balls? I think that's certainly possible with Taylor and really have some two-way ability. Um, so we'll see what the pedigree is on him. He is out, currently outside the first round. Grinding the Mox has him 45 overall. I think that's going to rise. He's behind Dobbins uh, and behind DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift's projected right now to be 32-1, so just outside the first round, um, which is a downtick a little bit from what I've seen uh, recently. Um, Dobbins didn't run, uh, didn't test at the combine, which is, I think is a disappointment. Anytime a player doesn't do that, it's a not a huge it's a it's a waving flag in the distance that appears red so i'm not going to say it's a, a massive problem at this point but so many other guys come in and test and then to see uh him sit out it's just a it's a minor yeah it's a, it's a cautionary thing and he came in tweener size at 209 um Taylor basically did everything well and did came in, tested, came in big, tested extremely well, and I think I think lays potential claim for being the running back one in this class. But we'll see how the how the NFL reacts to this. There's a, there seems to be some disconnect between fantasy Twitter, uh, dynasty Twitter, and the I would say the more of the fan market and what the uh, what the NFL is, is looking at right now, just in terms of what's reflected in, in drafts and conversation coming out of the league, just putting together tea leaves. There seems to be some disconnect there. So that's going to be a storyline that I'm going to watch in terms of his pedigree and how he uh, tracks in terms of draft pedigree, whether he's a day two guy, um, where he ranks in terms of you know running backs off the board. I think that's going to be a really interesting conversation in terms of what type of equity are you going to get uh, in a rookie draft. So really interested by that, but checks every box. He should, I would think that he rises above 45-2, which is his current draft position over at Grinding the Mocks, but we shall see. Um, turn to the wide receiver position, Denzel Mims, <laughs> 4 3 8 at 207. 38 and a half vert. That's good for 83rd percentile. 131 broad jump. That's good for 94th percentile. A three cone drill of 666. A very devilish number there for Denzel Mims. Uh, and just, just altogether a really, really good week for him. There was some, uh, I actually heard an interesting narrative comp, uh, which was uh, Terry McLaurin last year basically had a good senior bowl by all accounts, tested pretty well, uh, and then went on to have a pretty good rookie season. Uh, You know, where you're getting Denzel Mims, similar type of narrative that you're hearing in the media at least, 
uh, you know, 93 percentile in the four, 40 yard dash, 93 percentile in the three cone drill. When you adjust for size, that speed score goes up to 94th percentile, um, three cone at 92nd percentile. So just a really, really good all around performance in terms of all of his stuff. The broad jumps, 94th percentile, vert, 83rd percentile. So currently going six sixty two. Point one at grinding the mocks. He's a 19-year-old breakout guy at, at above 30% in terms of mark in terms of dominator rating. So, uh, pretty good profile altogether. We'll see. We'll see what the what the draft pedigree is. I think he's you know there's so many guys that look like day two guys at this point, um, and there's just so many of them. You wonder if, if they all go there, but he's laying a pretty good claim at this point for for warranting that pick. So um, I think the, the one of the more interesting plays is going to be how many guys you interested in at the wide receiver position this year. Uh, it might be atypical in terms of where you're targeting them. They might be plays in the second round where you typically don't see that, uh, or or you shouldn't necessarily go that way historically from a, from a expected production. Uh, profile but you're might not get the depth of running backs to really be in play at the in that second round especially if you're seeing three or four of them go you know in the top half of the first round or top eight picks uh you're gonna get i think there's a there's a gap there in terms of a tier break and and not a ton of backfill and a second or third tier at running backs where you're, you're seeing a really deep wide receiver class. So a guy like Denzel Mims could be in play in round two, for example, where you might not otherwise, in a, in a normal year, you might go running back over receiver there. I think the this is all a supply and demand problem or, or you know uh, equation in terms of who's there. Uh, but I think navigating the, the wide receivers that you like this year in rookie drafts uh, might be more of a, a tactic in round two of rookie drafts than I would normally suggest and try to extract as much value out of those uh, those tiers that you develop in preference is going to be a key tactic in rookie drafts. So um, Denzel Mims is going to probably be one of those players in that conversation. Another player who I didn't expect much of nearly any of this uh, was Chase Claypool uh, runs 442 at 238 there was talk coming into the week and even after his weigh-in that he was weighing in heavy at 238 with the intent to try and move on to to be a tight end uh, you know a bigger wide receiver we've seen some uh, preference in terms of some of the lighter more shiftier guys and a little bit of a move away from the big you know, lumbering outside guys or the, you know, the, the bigger receivers, team big wide receivers sort of gone away a little bit in terms of uh, preference, particularly in the NFL draft. You've seen smaller guys uh, and, and some different profiles coming out <coughs> after you've seen some of the bigger receivers in recent years, uh, you know, not perform well. Uh, Chase Claypool, uh, was seemed to be on that somewhat track of hey let's see if I could be maybe a tweener tight end but runs four four two and four forty and a half vert so ninety fourth percentile one twenty six broad that's good for eighty second percentile the speed score of one twenty four point seven hundredth percentile 
So um, I think the interesting part is going to be his pedigree, 21-year-old breakout, so on the older side of that in terms of production, so not great there, but projects more of a boom-bust guy. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to comp him to this player, and I'm not – trying to put them in the same breath in terms of comps, but immediately when I saw his test, I could all I the player that immediately came to mind was Mike Evans in terms of the size and the movement ability um, and, and having uh, not the greatest production profile. Um, I don't think Claypool even sniffs at all where Mike Evans went, but that was when I saw the time and the uh, and the weight. I, it was that was the player that immediately came to mind, and he ran faster than Mike Evans did. So um, Claypool is at ninety eight eight on grinding the mocks. I think that's going to be a key thing to watch in terms of. I think that's going to go up uh, or, or get better. I should say um, as as this process goes along but probably puts himself in pretty good position to be a wide receiver. And I would note there was some, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah said it on the draft that he was talking with Brady Quinn, that Chase Claypool uh, had talked with Brady Quinn at some point uh, after the weigh-in and said, I didn't mean to weigh in that heavy. I just drank a whole bunch of water and um, I came in heavier than sort of I was anticipating coming in. Um, so it didn't really hurt him at all. I think that whole weighing in too heavy, uh, putting on the water weight thing, I think that's overblown in terms of how much it, you know, the risk of it hurting you. I don't, I don't really think that's a thing. Um, but he uh, probably plays lighter than that. I think he had weighed in at the Senior Bowl uh, at like two in the lower 230s. So he was up, he was up some weight, um, but probably is more of a mid-230s guy instead of a 238 or 240 guy. Um, but he's going to be an interesting one in terms of, you know, along the same line as Mims, that what's that tier look like? And, you know, the late first sort of early third round of rookie drafts is going to be a lot of wide receivers in there. How we sort of navigate that is going to be an interesting, a very, very interesting strategy this year. Um, Justin Jefferson is the ninth player on my list of 10 guys that I that really uh, I'm thinking about leaving this this combine um, four four three at two o two. I saw some projections that he was maybe a mid four fives guy, uh, and so the four four three really jumped off the the page one o four nine in terms of speed score because he's a little bit lighter. So that's good, 79th percentile. Um, but four four three is is I think you know. As much as, if not more, than a tenth of a second better than what the, I would say the quote market was expecting in terms of his 40 time. So, um, so that's a that's a good performance for him. Uh, 30.68 dominator rating at 19 years old. So that's pretty good as well. Um, 37 and a half vert, good for 75th percentile. 126 broad jump, 82nd percentile. So, looking uh, looking pretty good in terms of a potential later round one pick currently uh, projected right around pick 30 by grinding the mocks there's commonly mocked or commonly narrative driven for him to green bay which would be interesting uh if green bay were to ever spend any draft capital at all at the wide receiver position that that would be an interesting thing he would be clearly the second best wide receiver on their team at this point um and one of the younger players in the draft. So we'll, we'll, we'll look to see what his pedigree is, but I think he makes a pretty good case to be a day one pick, assuming there's 
you know, five, six guys that go on day one, I think he gives himself a pretty good shot, especially considering how good the market is treating him right now in terms of mock drafts. Final player, uh, the only tight end on my list, uh, and I could I could have put 50 guys on the list. Uh, you can check it out. I did a lot more in-depth work, like I said, over at the, over on the Patreon side, so patreon.com slash analytics of dynasty. Um, you can get the full breakdown rundown of of all my combine thoughts but this is basically a summary or cliff notes version of it albert aquabonum for uh albert o as rich eisen was forced to say after pronouncing aquabonum uh 16 17 18 different ways during the during the combine um Al Michaels joked when he called the the miracle on ice that he just picked he you know he didn't know how to pronounce all the Russian or the Soviet names so he just sort of whatever came out the first time he just kept saying that because no one would know any different so Aquabonum it is um, if it's different I'll try and get it right but that's what I believe it to be four four nine at two fifty eight one twenty six point nine speed score greater than two standard deviations outside the uh, average speed score so just a freak time 11 touchdowns at at 19 years of age um, the just to give you an idea the average speed score for tight ends at the combine since 2096 excuse me 97 uh, almost 98 so he is uh, full two standard deviations outside of that well well above where the average hit rate is the average hit at speed score is which is in the low uh, 100s right around 105 in terms of speed scores for guys that have produced a top 12 season dating back to 2000 so he's uh very much on the athletic freak side of this equation uh and did nothing else so basically Deion sanders did ran and then he gone um, didn't do any didn't do any jumps or three cones or anything like that. So um, pretty pretty spectacular performance at that at that size. Um, he did have an average dominator rating of twenty point one in college. So that's just a a really good number. I know there's questions about him in terms of health. Uh, I was listening to podcasts today, a couple of podcasts today, just talking about the tight end position. Uh, I think the guys over at Pro Football Focus and The Athletic as well talked a little bit about him. There was, uh, I think, multiple people on those podcasts discussed. I need to go back and rewatch him because I didn't see, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't base, I didn't see this. So that eleven touchdowns at nineteen years old—that's a big deal, though. So uh, I, th- I believe if the if the stats right, I, I believe it to be true. Eleven touchdowns at uh, that year was the most of any tight end. Um, so in uh, Division One, so that's a you know that's a it's a freaky profile, and what I think is a, a good maybe a, a more um, there's multiple. I think starters probably in this draft in terms of NFL starters at tight end, but probably not, you know, no one on the Gronkowski spectrum um, outside of Aquabonum really being an athletic freak. But doesn't it, the market isn't treating him like that. It'll be interesting to see what the mocks do now. So I think this is a good data point to sort of plug it in, write it down, um, have it memorialized, and come back in a month and see where we are because uh, he could potentially rise you know, get f- firmly into round two. There's a break between round two and round three. There's a that's a tier in terms of tight end hit rates, uh, going back, 
you know, uh, to 2000, there is a, you know, if I were to, if I were to sort of lay breaks down, it's, it's at the end of round one, at the end of round two, and then three and four actually produce more uh, similarly than uh, three does with two. So there's a, there's a break there in round three and round four guys look more similar than, than round two and round three does. So there's a, there's a break there. Uh, we'll sort of see how he falls in, in terms of that. Um, but that's going to be a line to watch in terms of how he straddles that. So um, that's the 10 guys coming out of this, this combine. Um, now, you know, we're going to be on the pro days. Uh, I think Dobbins is a big deal. There's a couple of guys that, that were injured or, um, you know, didn't, there was uh, the Henry Ruggs tweaked his, I think it was a hamstring, uh, and, and basically didn't do anything after the 40. In fairness, if I was going to run, try and run 4-2, I would do it at about somewhere between the 20th and probably the 25th yard would be where I would hit 4-2, and also would probably hurt my hamstring. So um, I... I uh, let's hope that he gets better and doesn't have you know this Wolf Fuller narrative sort of develop on him being a speed guy, but but um, constantly nursing injuries. Um, Donovan Peoples Jones a shout out with a forty four and a half inch vert one thirty nine broad jump as well. Um, so he's a make an honorable mention to this Lavisca Chenault. There was some discussion that he is going to actually have uh, core muscle surgery. Uh, on Tuesday, I believe this podcast I'm recording it is literally just about to turn Sunday, so I'm, it's late Saturday night that I'm recording. Um, living my best Saturday night life, uh, but uh, Lavisca Chanel will have surgery next week. So depending on when you're hearing this, he might have already had it, um, uh, and hopefully we'll be back in time for rookie mini camp and all of that stuff. So um, an odd time to to go ahead and have the surgery considering sort of where he is in the schedule. So um, that's that's something to watch. I would note, too, Zach Moss uh, running back out of Utah. I thought that he would test better than he did. Uh, he uh, There was some injury that happened. I believe it happened during the running, or, or actually I think it happened on his vertical jump, and then he ran sort of an odd trajectory in terms of he gets hurt, then runs, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what all happened. He's going to be a, a guy that we want to watch for at this pro day too. Um, I didn't see four six five when I watched him. I thought he was better than that. Uh, and there was, he was a guy that was commonly thought to, to be, a, a day two guy. So, um, if that might create some value in terms of, you know, if he still goes on day, you know, later day two, something like that, that four, six, five might scare people away, but I don't think that's a you know, quote, true time, if you will. So, um, and obviously the, the reports the the media reports of Tua have been, I would say good. Uh, but again, we have concerns with, how much information are we going to know and, and truly know? Uh, I've been listening in, in terms of some of the thoughts. I think it's Daniel Jeremiah said that if, uh, you know, the thing to look for really is the, the recheck in April. And if teams like what they see at that point, that's probably when you might see a move up the board for a trade up. Uh, you know, I don't, I think that would only happen if you're going to two. So we'll see on that, but he he made it the indication that he said was that it will happen after the recheck in April. 
So uh, is when you would see movement on him and teams finally getting comfortable. So a lot of uncertainty with him in the market. Uh, it'll be a fascinating rookie draft with with quarterback valuations, especially if he didn't be the second quarterback on the board or off the board. If he if he somehow went third uh, or fourth or something like that, I think it'd be a it could be a really wild superflex rookie drafts if that were to happen. Um, because that would bring in a whole range of risk factors with his injury and those sorts of things. If he's healthy, he deserves to be the top, a top two quarterback in this draft. So um, the, it will be a, uh, we're going to be grabbing at tea leaves the best we can. But I think that the the positive news at this point is good, but it's it's cautious optimism or you know tepid enthusiasm. Um, a bridled enthusiasm, probably the best description of it. So um, that'll wrap this podcast up. Again, you can find even more content over at patreon.com slash analytics of dynasty. Uh, it's, it's now March, so you can get all of March uh, for as little as four bucks. If you want to get part of all of the, all, the whole package, all of the podcasts, I do multiple podcasts a week. Uh, and I am uh, going to do a writer's room podcast this week talking about a project that I'm working on right now. Um, So you can find all that exclusive audio content over at patreon.com slash analytics dynasty. If you haven't gotten the book yet, still on sale, uh, $30 for the 2020 edition, all sorts of base rates, gives you a great primer on rookie drafts. I mean, it's it's a really big deal in terms of knowing the hit rates of these guys, the base rates of these guys, what type of density these players would hit with if they hit. All those things are big time things. Uh, in terms of how we should value players, in terms of pedigree, uh, different positions, as well as I have a, a full breakdown on some strategy about how to deal with rookie drafts. So this is the time right now to not overreact. I think the combine is a is a delicate balance between overreacting and letting the market uh, absorb more information so that way you can make a more efficient decision. It's a very delicate balancing act, uh, and we can tend to overreact minute by minute to uh, news article after news article that comes out of a roto world or uh, pro day times or any of those things. Now's a good time to dive into a book and think a little bit longer term and not get wrapped up and sort of confused and, and wrapped around an axle uh, trying to consume information. So you can find the book analytics slash shop. And if you're newer to dynasty or thinking, you know, Hey, I want a more overall primer. The 2020 edition is very topical in terms of super flex and rookie drafts and, and player hit rates. And my embracing randomness chapter is one of my favorite things I've ever written. Uh, just in terms of how I looked at different things. Um, if you're looking for a little bit more overview, I would say the 2020 edition is, is more 2.0, 3.0 version or, or 200 or 300 level class if you were to think of it as like a college class the the 100 level class is the analytics of dynasty 2019 edition it's all still fresh it's all still good um it's all evergreen uh, nothing i wouldn't back away from anything i wrote in that in terms of i think all the data is still good and all the strategy is still good so um that's on sale for 20 bucks you can get that at analyticsofdynasty.com so um thanks for joining this uh, special edition i have an exciting midweek podcast my the normal time normal slot I've got an exciting podcast coming up this week. I'm, I'm really excited uh, about the topic and uh, what we'll be talking about. So stay tuned for that. Uh, until next time, continue embracing the variance, and we will talk again soon.